starting a new series today. We're going to conclude it on Labor Day weekend, so it'll be a total of eight weeks as more of a topical series as we look at uh, some of the things that we face uh, collectively. And it might not be something that all of us uh, are, are going through personally, but as a church, we're looking really at misconceptions of the faith and, and things that uh, Christians often believe about the faith or about Christianity that aren't true. Uh, and we're going to then take a response to that and look at the biblical truth that we can apply to get a more well-rounded picture and perspective of the way uh, things work and biblically um, how they are constructed. And so we're going to be looking at different topics throughout the series, like the Christian life should be free of troubles, something we often wish were true, but we know biblically is not or that Christians should always feel happy. Uh, but today's topic is, is a, bit, uh, a bit timely. It's, it's one that I think many churches are going through right now, and it's the concept or the misconception that my faith is a personal and a private matter. And really what we mean here is that if I am a believer in Jesus, it's something I should do myself. And I don't need a community of believers to walk through this journey with. And this is something that we're seeing happen in a lot of churches as they're opening and getting back up to speed. There's about half the people that are just missing. And it's not that they're all watching online. They just left. On the other side of the token, there's great opportunity because there's a lot of people who are now for the first time looking for a church community and finding the value in community and knowing that they can't do this themselves after they just were somewhat forced to after a year plus. But this topic, this idea of individuality is something that's really uh, born into us as a culture from a, a young age. That we're, we have the sense of this rugged individualism that life is about liberty and independence in the personal pursuit of happiness, that we can do this all ourselves and we wear it as a badge of honor. And certainly there's the personal temptation to remove yourself from relationships because then I can do it on my terms, on my, ter on my time, without any sense of accountability. But we know biblically that faith is always meant to be played out in relationships, that church is about building these these important relationships. And we're not just talking about being an extrovert, because roughly half of us are not, including myself. But really it's about the, the idea of pursuing and embracing meaningful relationships as we journey through this faith. That Christianity, the church, is not built on a set of doctrines or systematic belief, but it's built on relationships. And the church reaches its full potential when we go through this journey together. That building relationships with other disciples makes stronger disciples. And building relationships with non-believers makes more disciples. But the fastest way to see the church fade and defalter is to divide and isolate and individualize believers in, in many different iterations, that's been the playbook of Satan all along, as his attack on the church is really about taking us apart from one another. That privatized and isolated faith is a recipe for 
disaster. Now, the caveat here is that, you know, every, every good lie is built with a nugget of truth. And at a fundamental level, everyone's faith is, by itself, a personal matter. You have to decide for yourself to respond to the call of Christ and have faith in him as Lord or not. And simply being around other believers or growing up in a Christian family does not make you a disciple. But when you do respond to the call of Jesus, and when you have faith in him, you instantly become part of the world's oldest, largest, and most loving family, the church. And we're meant to go at this together. And that's been a large part of our, uh, our vision, our mission that we've been uh, discussing since the beginning of the year, that we exist first to connect with God, but second to connect with each other and build those meaningful relationships. And then finally to connect others with God. And you start that process back over again. Well, we understand the misconception here that our faith is not a personal pursuit. It's not an individualized or private matter. But biblically, we understand first that we need each other to grow and progress in our faith. Now, it's possible to grow by yourself. And there's some around the world, maybe the persecuted Christians, who, who don't have a choice. They don't have the gift and the value of community. And I know that we grow often through our quiet times, our, our devotionals with God, prayer, Bible study, journaling. Those things are all great. And if you're doing that, keep doing it. If you're not doing that, Start doing that. But it doesn't stop there. We start and we build the faith personally. or We start at a personal level, but then we grow now through these relationships. And when we consider biblical wisdom, what a better place to start than the book of wisdom, Proverbs. We see there that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And this, is, this word picture, this concept of, of two blades rubbing against each other to keep themselves sharp. And in this time, they didn't have an electric grinder to quickly sharpen a blade, but if you had a sword or an axe, you could, you could hone out those burrs and those edges by simply rubbing the blades together. And it gives us ideas of how our relationships are supposed to work as Christians. That if you are an axe, you could, for a, a temporary time, maintain your purpose. You could chop down trees, but eventually you'll get dull. But if you don't have another axe or another blade to keep yourself sharpened, you become ineffective. But it also shows the faithfulness of our relationships with one another, that ironing, sharpening iron is not a quick or an easy process. But we build these long-lasting and faithful relationships with one another, we stick by and stick with through the good and the bad. And it's not just a simple pat on the back, an attaboy, or a, a motivational speech, but it's offering the right words at the right times. And really, this is an example of a relationship of accountability. Accountability. In other words, letting people close enough to you 
that they can see the rough edges and the weaknesses and the faults. And then they would not delight in your weaknesses or triumph over your faults, but it's a relationship built on love where they go beyond the surface, the superficial, but they get vulnerable. And they give a deep look into you and you to them, a mutually beneficial relationship. See, relationships built on accountability often hurt a little bit. It can sometimes feel embarrassing. And it's something that takes uh, great persistence to be able to do. But another proverb is that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And this goes to show as we do life and go through faith together, if your only goal as a Christian is to feel good about yourself, be careful. I'm not advocating that Christians should always feel bad about themselves, but if you're only looking for people to endorse you exactly where you're at, it, it can be dangerous. But tough, tough love, helpful relationships built on accountability are the key to growth and progress as a Christian. And these are relationships that are built around the truths of God. That we understand that there's truth to be spoken in love and truth to be received in grace for one another. That the word of God itself is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we speak truth into each other's lives, it's not always a pleasant experience. But in the end, it brings us closer to Jesus. Now, this is a big reason why people don't grow in relationships, because they know at times that it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be simple, and they really have to evaluate themselves. But all of us need those constant reminders. And I just want to share with all of you, I, I know that my job, at least a big portion of my job and my calling, is to share biblical truths with you. But there's some key moments over the last couple of years where some of you individually have spoken truth into me. And I deal with things like discouragement and distractions. And there's those key moments where you just say what I need to hear in the moment. You share a scripture with me. And it helps me and it keeps me accountable to being more Christ-like. These are the kind of relationships we are to build with one another. And they're not possible when you do this all alone. Now that's the topic of accountability. On the other side of that is encouragement, where accountability is helping you get on the right path. Encouragement is telling you to stay on the right path and just keep going. So our second biblical insight this morning is that we need each other in order to persevere in our faith. And the faith is not always easy. We know it's like a marathon, and we're told that we are to run the race with perseverance. Now, there's many times that we have this weariness, this discouragement, this demotivation. And throughout our faith journey, we can have those moments of feeling like just giving up. But being surrounded by believers means you have people who are cheering you on to keep you going. 
And in sports, there's this interesting phenomenon that happens that if, if two teams that by all accounts are generally equal with one another are playing in a game, the home team always has the advantage. And the big reason is because there's a crowd of spectators who are cheering them on. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me that 50,000 strangers can get together and cheer for 11 men in matching tight pants to take this oblong ball and put it down the field just a little bit further. But, but it works. It works. And I can speak for myself. Um, at the end of June, I was, I was gone. Um, this is, gives you an example of what, the kind, what kind of things that Manny and I do on vacation. Uh, I was told I need to learn how to vacation better. Uh, but we did, a, we did a bike race. You all know my love of cycling. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long race. It's a 100-mile mountain bike race. And this is something I do not as a race. I know that I'm never going to win the thing, right? But it's just kind of a, a challenge. And there's many times throughout that that I felt like giving up, that I was tired and weary and cramping. But there's six strategic locations along the course where they have people who can gather and cheer. I don't know a single one of them. But as I'm going through in like 350th place, they're still there and cheering for me to go. And it gives me like a second wind to just go stronger and fight through where, where, whatever I'm at. And as I'm doing this, this race in the end of July, uh, June, I thought, what a perfect example of what the church should be. That when we feel like giving up, when we feel tired and weary, we're here to cheer for each other to keep going, to encourage one another to take one more step or one more pedal stroke in that analogy. And this is the biblical insight we see in the book of Hebrews, in a portion that I kind of call the just keep going portion of Hebrews, kind of the second half of chapter 10 all the way into chapter 12. And it's this idea of we're here for one another, no matter how hard it might feel. And it says in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, that we should let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And as it continues, all the more that the day is approaching, meaning all the more as Jesus is coming soon. See, this... This group of believers was probably facing many of the same struggles of the early church. Persecutions, false teachings. Maybe there's some with divided motives, and, and there's many who are weary. But the author tells us of Hebrews to keep going and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And it's interesting when you study the language often that the word spurring one another on is actually more directly translated as agitate, Kind of like you would agitate a, a hornet's nest when you swat at it. So it's maybe not a perfect word picture, but it's the idea that we're agitating or it really inspiring one another toward love, toward good deeds. And love here is speaking not about our concept of love, but Christ-like love. That we're to inspire one another to love deeper and toward good deeds or good works. And again, this is not the attaboy, you did a good job kind of works, but these are God's goods work good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. This is, this is kingdom work. So in other words, when we're weary, we inspire each other not only to keep going, but to be more Christ-like, to love like him, 
and to do his work. Now, sadly, this is a, a reason many people stop building relationships. It's because they know if they do, they might be challenged. They might be encouraged, and they want to do what they would like to do when they would like to do it. But when you become a follower of Christ, you start to become a part of something bigger than yourselves. And these relationships that are built on encouragement are a prime example of how we transition from going to church to being the church. That we point them to Christ and encourage them to keep going and growing deeper. Now this is a daily endeavor and something we need to keep doing every day. Another place in Hebrews it says that we should encourage one another daily for as long as it's called today. In other words, if you're wondering what day you should uh, encourage another believer, it's the day that ends in why. Every single day, this is something we are to do, to cheer on each other as we run the long race of faith. We also understand biblically that we need each other when we're struggling, when we're going through tough times. Now, the hardest thing to do for many is to ask for help. And I, I experienced this myself. You don't want to burden other people with what you're going through. Or it's just that, I, that simple idea of, I can do this myself. But to ask for help requires honesty and humility. But if you're intent at going at this alone, it's not a display of your strength and your courage. It's really a display of your pride. We're meant to go through things together. And in the book of Galatians, it says we are to bear each other's burdens or carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But to give you the context of what this is referring to is really people who are struggling through sin. And again, sin is one of those words we don't like to talk about. It might make us feel bad about ourselves. We pretend it's not there. But every person, every Christian has these burdens, no matter where you are on your journey. That sin, in some way, shape, or form, will burden you. But you're not meant to carry that alone. It's something we go through together as Christians. And burden in and of itself really refers to a heavy weight or a stone that you might carry on your shoulders for a long distance. But when we look at it as a, as a principle, we understand that this goes beyond just sin, but it, it can be any burden that someone carries. It could be a financial burden or a family crisis or a health concern. But whatever it is you're going through, you're able to go through it with someone, go through it together. And when you're dealing with sin, it's, it's understandable that you want to try to hide it. Because that was the response from the very first sin, right? They felt shame. They hid from each other. They hid from God. They denied what they did. And we, we kind of carry the same uh, response over and over again. Now, part of that is built into it. The other part of that is that as a church, we have a tendency to kind of shoot the wounded, don't we? We don't always respond to this well on the other side when someone's asking for help. But our response is always to help them through whatever struggle they're going through. There's, of course, some exceptions to that. 
In 1 Corinthians 5, we have a different example of if it's a person who is boastful and prideful and unrepentant in their sin, there's a different way you should respond to that. But someone asking for help is one of the most beautiful moments in ministry. And often people ask me, what is, what is the greatest highlight for you in ministry as a pastor? And you might think it might, would be the moment where someone comes to Christ and, or where they're, where they're uh, growing rapidly in their faith. And those are great moments but for me, it's when someone has the humility and the honesty to come to me and say, I'm struggling and I need your help. Because it shows that they trust you and they value you and they value the relationship with Christ above all other things. And I pray for a community, our community here, that we be one that we can gently and lovingly help those who are struggling. And that for those who are struggling to be open and authentic and honest about what you're going through. So when someone asks you, how are you doing spiritually, and your response is, I'm on track, maybe you should tell them that this is the track you're on, okay? There's a lot of value in being honest and and bearing your burdens with someone else and walking through these things together. Share your struggles and don't do it alone. And we're told that in this way, if we are mutually doing this with one another, we fulfill the law of Christ. And this is likely referring to the new command Christ gives us, that we are to love each other in the same way he loves us. And by doing so, the world will know that we are his disciples. Help each other in the times of struggle, no matter what you're going through. Have the courage and the authenticity and the honesty to open up to others about what's happening in your life. It's ultimately God who heals and lifts these final burdens, but he has designed the church to mutually edify one another. And if you really, truly want to live out the commands of Christ, carry each other's burdens. Help each other when you're struggling. But it's not just these sin struggles or physical struggles or whatever we go through. There's also a lot of burden we carry emotionally. And that's why it's important that we need each other in these moments of pain and sorrow. And part of doing life together is not just sharing the good moments. Biblically, we actually see a pretty big range of the kinds of things we should share with one another. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, when it's speaking about the body and how we work together intricately as believers, that we should have equal concern for one another. And that if that one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part re- rejoices with, us, with it. In the same way in Romans 12, in the same context, it says we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We have a lot, of, uh, a lot of experiences in this life. And doing life together doesn't mean just rejoicing with the moments of, I got the job, or we're getting married, but also sharing the moments that are tough, the moments that uh, you mourn over. And there's a lot that's said about grieving and mourning and lamenting in the scriptures, but it's clear that we're to be doing it together. 
And even in, in the time of Christ, uh, when you look at something like a funeral procession, uh, we see a couple examples in the New Testament, but historically it was something that was done as, as a community, where they would carry the body from the home to the gravesite. They'd go through town and there'd be many people wailing and lamenting in, in this, this processional of family, but even strangers who were in town who didn't know would open up their doors and lament with them. And there's something healing about a community when you can lament through the tough times together. Share those moments. Even today, uh, tonight, I know we're going to have uh, a memorial service for Molly May. And, and it's a time as a community, community that we can share that together. And, you know, the response that has been so amazing is, is, is through all of this. We see an example here that that Jay and Kylie felt like they need to bring it to the church. They need to go through this with the church as a community to do it well. Patty, I know your, your dad passed away this weekend, and I'm very sorry. And one of the first things Patty said to me is, can you notify my church family so they can pray? And we go through those moments together of sadness and sorrow, but we work through it together. And we experience God's comfort through that. And that's really the, the scripture we're going to look at here, is through 2 Corinthians Chapter 1. You see, praise be to God. I added this slightly to, to fit on the screen. But praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And this tells us a lot about comfort and, and how we are to work together as Christians. And first, it shows us the, the originator of comfort or the author of comfort is God. That all comfort we receive in this world, no matter who we might receive it from, it, it started with God. And when we go through these tough times, we often understand after the fact that every pain has a purpose greater than we realize in the moment. But as we go to God, his comfort helps us through these times. And we experience the things we experience, it makes us into who we are. But after we've received that comfort, now we have the ability to share it with others. That by providing comfort and compassion, you're actually extending the very hands of God to people. And so often, when we're the ones experiencing pain and suffering, we, we, we have the idea of no one can possibly understand what I'm going through. So I'm going to keep it to myself. And sometimes, maybe many times, that's absolutely true. It's hard to understand the pain of another person. But what we see here is that comfort, the, the comfort of God we extend to people is somewhat universal. That we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that's where you learn that lamenting and grieving and mourning as a community is it's not so much about being the solution or providing a, a, a fix, but just simply being present. About giving time and attention, making eye contact, letting the other person just express themselves deeply and being there with them as they walk through it. Sometimes there, there really are no words you can give. 
And recently I was, I was talking with another pastor who's been in the ministry just, just for a few years. He's, a, he's on the older side, uh, but he's, he's new to it. And I kind of asked, what, what made you want to get into ministry? Uh, you know, as, as, as you're a bit older in life, you had a different career path. And he said, there's a pivotal moment for me where I was going through a family crisis. And we didn't know what to do. And my pastor came to our house, and he had no advice. There's nothing he could give us in counsel. But he just sat there and cried with us. And it was at that moment I knew that stuff like this is, is, are things we're supposed to do in, in community and with others. And it touched him so deeply that he was just there to grieve with him. And he said, I want to do that for other people. And he realized the calling of his life to go into ministry. See, it's in these times of shared weakness that we actually become stronger together. And no matter how great our weakness is, we understand that God, the power of God, is always greater. And that there will always be hardships and troubles, but God's comfort is greater still. And we're called now to share that comfort with one another. But it's clear that in all of this, that there is no such thing as the lone wolf Christian or the one who, who goes at it alone. If you're deliberately choosing to go through this journey of faith alone, not only are you selling yourself short, but you're, you're selling the church short. We're designed to do this together. So how do you make it happen? Well, first is, is just to, to seek out intentionally and deliberately relationships with people, to grow with them. Maybe it's, it's something you just pick up the phone and, and call someone, ask how they're doing, or write them a note. You know, one of the most important things you can do, especially with the younger generation, uh, you, you scary adults, is just to pull them aside and say, how's school going for you? How's the basketball uh, going for you? And just, just taking that moment to intentionally impress upon them. And that goes a huge way. But maybe if you want something more formal, uh, one thing we, we want to make available to all of you is, is a mentor relationship with someone else in the church. And I've been on both sides of a, a mentor a mentee in, in the relationship, and both of them are equally rewarding. So if you're interested in finding a mentor or being a mentor, talk to Pastor Chris, and we'd love to start uh, getting people set up in those relationships where they can invest in one another. Join a connection group, a, a small group, a Bible study, a life group, anything that intentionally places you in community with other believers. And find a way to grow in these authentic in meaningful relationships beyond you know, the foyer chatter, which is great. But this is a key to growing in your faith. Stay plugged in. Reach out when people are struggling. Reach out when you are struggling. Don't do this alone. And we can walk through any bit of pain, suffering, or hardship through community. But connect with others, with other believers, and do this together. Let's pray as we close. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the church, for the uh, body uh, of Christ, which you have, uh, which you started and you sustained. But Lord, we know that through all of it, it's, it's built uh, on us just loving one another deeply in these relationships. Uh, God, so I just pray that we'd be able to do that, that we'd find a way to, to get plugged in, to, to grow, uh, to develop as Christians as we uh, do this all together. So, 
God, I just pray uh, for this church specifically that in so many ways we're already doing this well. And it's, it's so great to see so many long-lasting relationships be, uh, between the believers here. But God, I pray we could even do it better, that we can be a church that is strong uh, in you because we're strong in one another. So God, we thank you for that gift, for this great family that we can be a part of. And Lord, we just pray that you continue to bless it in your name. Amen.